Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 124. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm very happy to bring you an interview with a guest who I have enjoyed interviewing before. I always love talking with her. This guest is someone who is an expert in nutrition and mental health, and it really goes deeper than that. Dr. Leslie Korn calls herself a health activist. She's a Harvard-trained traumatologist who specializes in using nutritional and herbal medicine for mental health and optimal brain function in people of all ages. She combines the science of holistic medicine with the art of compassionate, personalized care. And Leslie has, she initially came to my attention as the author of the book, Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health, A Complete Guide to the Food-Mood Connection. That book is really for mental health clinicians, and it's amazing. It's a thick, heavy textbook and chock full of incredible information. But she also has written a couple of other books recently, The Good Mood Kitchen, which is Simple Recipes and Nutrition Tips for Emotional Balance, and the book that we're going to talk about the most today, which is Eat Right, Feel Right. I love this book because it's a colorful convenient little pocket-sized spiral-bound flip chart that has 50 recipes and tips to improve mood, sleep, attention, and focus. And the recipes are easy to do, easy to follow, and it's specifically explained how they work to help improve mood. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Leslie, and she gives us a little recipe at the end of today's episode. So let's go ahead and get started. Here is my interview with Dr. Leslie Korn. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm so happy to have a returning guest who is such an expert on the subjects of mental health and nutrition. Dr. Leslie Korn is with us again. Leslie, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat. Oh, my pleasure to be here with you. I'm so happy and excited you know, um, last time we talked on Therapy Chat was about your book, Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health, which is really written for clinicians. And it's an uh, amazing, fabulous book. But I'm really pumped up about your newest books that are for everyone and therapists can use with clients, uh, The Good Mood Kitchen and Eat Right, Feel Right. So go ahead and just tell us, if you will, a little bit about how those books came to be and how they're used. After the excitement of Nutrition Essentials, many therapists said to me, this is great. I'm going to use it with my clients. I've got lots of tools to apply motivational interviewing to self-care and nutritional behaviors, but it's too complex for my clients to read who aren't trained in 
mental health, for example. I want a book that I can share with my clients that has recipes and explains very simply about the essentials and the basics of how food and diet, nutrition and supplements and herbs, spices, how that all affects our mood, our sense of well-being and specific ways that we can eat for depression or anxiety or panic. And so these two books came out of that request. And The Good Mood Kitchen is a hardcover, and I call it a half recipe cookbook uh, of very simple recipes that have very complex tastes. And it also is a half health book with lots of tips and step-by-step behaviors that are simple to change that will provide the maximum benefits. And then the Eat Right, Feel Right is really a throwback to the old days of having recipe cards. Remember those? (laughs) And this is like a little recipe card book held together. And it's divided in different sections for sleep, depression, anxiety. And what it does is it allows you just to look up a different section and open it up and find a little tip and a little recipe. For example, you know, I'm drinking too much coffee. I want the mood boost that coffee gives me, but now I'm getting too jittery. How can I adjust this with an afternoon smoothie with uh, green tea and uh, coconut milk? And how can I get the same mood boost and energizer for mid-afternoon, but not get the gym? And that's what I did in Eat Right, Feel Right as well, is provide the kinds of recipes that we know we all want. <laughs> we want to have a, a better mood. We don't want to feel anxious. We don't want to keep self-medicating uh, with foods that just cause inflammation and then depress us or give us joint pain. And so that's why I created both of these books. They're so wonderful because, you know, you have this extensive training in nutrition and you're able to relate the information to share it with people in a way that's so relatable and so clear. And I love both of these books. I mean, the Eat Right, Feel Right is a little handy reference. It's almost pocket sized. It's easy to use to kind of take away you know, what's one small change I can make, or let me try this. And, you know, it's very, you know, informative, um, but it's, it's not overwhelming. And then the Good Mood Kitchen, buying that book for me has really made me feel much more empowered in making decisions about the foods I choose and how I prepare them. Like as someone who tries to follow nutrition and health advice, there can be so much conflicting information. Honestly, I've learned so much from talking with you and the way you put it together in the books. For example, you have kind of like, here are the things you should have in your pantry. Here's why to use this and not that, you know, and it's, it just makes it so much more clear. Oh, well, I, that thrills me to hear that because I really learned about 
writing these books and how to present the material based on my own clinical experience with my clients, as well as myself. As you point out, we're often working very hard, don't often have a lot of time to cook, or we've got competing interests on our time. And we, just like our clients, can put self-care and good nutrition at the bottom of the to-do list. And so I wanted to address the things that get in our way for making change. And what are they? Well, we, we say there's not enough time, and oftentimes there isn't. So I wanted to develop recipes that were quick, but still had a richness of taste that would be very satisfying. And that leads us to the other challenge. We want to be satisfied. We often even want to uh, use food to self-medicate, but in a positive way. And that's the other point I make here. If we're dealing, whether it's with an addiction or a craving, it's not that we, you know, are, are hard on ourselves and lack compassion and say, just stop this. Just say no, you know, like the old Nancy Reagan line, because we know that doesn't work. What works is to understand what we're craving and why we're craving it. We're getting inner wisdom from the body. So, for example, if I crave chocolate, I know that the components of chocolate and women tend to crave chocolate more than men because chocolate's very rich in magnesium. We may be needing magnesium and women need more magnesium than men. It's very relaxing. It's an anxiolytic. And so we may crave chocolate without knowing that part of our body wisdom is saying, give me more magnesium. Chocolate also gives us a little mood boost and an energy boost. And so there's nothing wrong with boosting our energy with chocolate. But the problem is most chocolate comes with sugar. And we know sugar is one of the most pro-inflammatory foods there is. And we now know the cause of most of our illnesses, aside from the acute illnesses, but whether it's diabetes, depression, we now understand depression is an inflammatory disease, not a lack of serotonin, joint pain, insomnia. These are all rooted, even dementia in inflammatory process. And so what I wanted to do is say, let's go for the chocolate girls, but <laughs> let's make it sugar-free. And so I created a, a chocolate almond joy recipe that's so much fun to do with the kids and the family too. It is the three best foods there are in the whole world for our brain and our mind, chocolate, almonds, and coconut. But we use just a touch of raw honey, and then we sweeten it with stevia. And therefore, we can have a wonderful medicine of our food, chocolate almond joys, put them in the freezer, make up a whole batch in the weekend, and it'll last you a few weeks. And we then satisfy the craving. We're speaking to our inner voice. We're understanding our body's asking us for something it needs, and we don't need to feel guilty and at war with ourselves, but we really interpret the messages we are getting from our cravings and then substituting with a healthy approach to that food. That's a wonderful example. And, you know, it also um, speaks to the fact that our bodies are asking us for certain foods and certain flavors because we need certain things, you know, 
And instead of saying, oh, I can't eat that, that's bad. Maybe the real answer is, what is this telling me and how can I meet the need healthfully? I think that's the key to both cravings and any kinds of addictions that we have is is to ask that question and to understand it. And that's why I, I write about this in the Good Mood Kitchen. And it, it leads to what I call the principle of substitutions. So, for example, if you're looking for comfort food, I ask people to make a list of what they consider are their comfort foods. And I've never had anyone put on their list carrots and celery, I'll tell you that. (laughs) People don't tend to get comfort from that. People get comfort from the starches and the fats. And so what I suggest is substituting. I have a recipe for making uh, sweet potatoes baking sweet potatoes and then whipping them up with a little whole organic cream, uh, which is low in the, you know, the casein protein. And you can whip it up, serve it hot, serve it cold, and and shave a little bit of pure chocolate or cocoa on it. It's an extremely satisfying comfort food, and it will help you get off the French fries and the pizza because the body is often looking for that rich, combination of sweet and fat, and you can obtain it, again, through identifying some healthy substitutions for yourself. I find that the more I eat whole foods, other people are like maybe rolling their eyes saying, everyone knows this, but to me, I'm noticing that the more I eat whole foods, the more I don't want things like french fries or pizza. It just doesn't appeal to me. It sounds better to eat a sweet potato I mean, it sounds more enjoyable and more satisfying. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. It's true. And I think there's a very important analogy to what we do as mental health therapists in helping our clients detoxify from addiction to stress. And we all know the experience of that kind of overdoing it or not really feeling or being numb to a behavior because we've been used to it and we continue to do it and we can't really feel what it's like to be relaxed and calm. We can't claim that for ourselves. And it's completely analogous relative to food as well. When we have these very powerful and potent tastes of trans fats and salts, you know, heavily salted foods or these powerful flavors, 
our taste buds gravitate towards it. We're addicted to it. And we don't have the subtlety and the appreciation for the more refined taste. Just like when we live a high stress life, we, we start to feel bored or, well, what's the meaning if we're just sitting back and relaxing? It takes a while to detoxify from high stress behavior and high stress foods. And if we engage in it, as you point out, we begin to come off of it, really, and we can appreciate how we truly feel at baseline, which is often obscured by these powerful tastes that we have, particularly in fast foods. Mm, it's so interesting, that idea of the more potent flavors, and then when things are, are don't have all those artificial things like trans fats, maybe not artificial, but those things that are unhealthy for us, we have to readjust to the natural flavor. So can you talk about the availability of the some of the foods that you recommend people using, like things like raw butter, raw honey, you know, the the whole organic cream? Are these things available in most supermarkets? Uh, many supermarkets are now carrying some of these products, but generally we'll find them in, for example, farmers markets or our local community supported agriculture, locally produced foods. And I'm not suggesting that people make a huge leap all at once that feels overwhelming. For example, if you're getting a lot of your food from you know, the fast food restaurants, I don't suggest you just do a 180 turn and go start drinking kombucha and fresh carrot juice, and, <laughs> you know, go churn your butter out at the farm. <laughs> I, it's a gradual process of change where we're beginning to look at the quality of the food that we're eating and really decrease the dissociation that's been there that's promoted by the media that says there's no real relationship between what we eat and what our mood and mental health is about. We know it's totally dependent on what we eat. Our mental health is totally dependent upon good food. We know that even adverse childhood events, uh, which certainly can set us on a trajectory of traumatic stress and and disruption of our endocrine system, our neurological system, those events affect our brain and our ability to digest food. And we have even a greater need for good quality fats to restore the brain uh, and good quality proteins to support the amino acids that create the neurotransmitters. And so what I'm asking my clients to do is, is take it step by step. If you're eating planters roasted peanuts, let's shift to raw peanuts because we know the roasted is not healthy for you. It's not medicine, but the raw is medicine. And then once you are on the raw peanuts, let's shift to raw almonds because those are even better for the brain. And the same thing is we're coming out of this 50-year myth of butter and eggs being bad for you or cream being bad for you. And so let's get off the 
artificial foods, the egg beaters and the aspartame and the margarine and the the better butter (laughs) alternatives. And let's look at what nature has given us and how nature has supported our ancestors for millennia with the real foods that nature provides. And so that's where I begin with my clients. How about get a crock pot and get some good organic uh, beef bones or chicken wings. Um, They can be very inexpensive, a dollar or $2 a pound. You don't need to be wealthy to eat in a healthy way. And you can throw those in with some carrots and celery and onions and garlic, the best foods there are for mental health. Onions and garlic really support what's called methylation in the body, which supports our mood. And so we begin simply in a way that targets what are your favorite foods? Don't be afraid of them, but improve the quality and then improve the quality of your preparation process. And that gets you started on what's often a one, two, or three-year process. We need not be in a rush, but we can go step-by-step listening to our body's response. Mm. I just love this, that you've created these resources because, you know, if one is trying to synthesize all of the information that's out there about eating healthfully, as I mentioned, there's so much conflicting information It just feels like, oh, we're supposed to eat this. Oh, we're not supposed to eat that. Oh, wait, it says, you know, two things that contradict one another. Which one's true? And um, this is like making a lifestyle change and how to do it kind of in whatever way is most realistic for the person. Absolutely. And, And you're so right. And that's why I say in the Good Mood Kitchen There's no one right diet for everyone. We go through periods of fads, you know, paleo, vegan, uh, vegetarian, uh, soy, no soy. But I'm familiar with all the fads, but I'm also familiar with both ancient science and the knowledge of indigenous wisdom and indigenous peoples and culture and also modern biomedical science. And there's certain things that are incontrovertible. The fake foods are bad for us. That's not going to change. We're not going to turn around someday and say, oh, by the way, aspartame is really good for you. Mm-hmm. Margarine is really good for you. Trans fats is. We know there are certain things. Refined sugar. Now, we don't find refined sugar in nature. What we find is sugar cane. And what does sugar cane give us? Nature has given us a wonderful root that we can suck on. It's sweet. It's rich with minerals and fiber, both of which slow down the absorption of sugar. That's why sugar cane is a healthy food. But when we extract that sugar and concentrate it, it becomes poison. Nature didn't give us refined sugar in a bag. And so there are certain principles of foods that we know are bad for us and will always be bad for us. Now, the other principle is there's no one right diet for everyone. That means that some people are do best on a vegetarian diet and some people do best on a carnivore diet and some of us are in between. 
And if we again look to nature, let's look at our global sisters and brothers. We have brothers and sisters who live in the northern climes in Greenland and the Arctic Circle. They're not vegetarians. Their bodies evolved to eat lots of fat and blubber and seafood and game and a few of those carbs in the form of berries and roots that sprout up for a few months every year. They are not vegetarians. In contrast to people in the southern climes, their bodies evolved genetically to eat the lighter foods, the fruits and lots of vegetables, maybe a few grains. There's certainly controversy about that, maybe a few legumes. And all of us, if we're speaking of our U.S. audience, we are all a mix. Um, Many of us come from Europe. Uh, We are a mix of all kinds of influences. Many of us come from Africa and Asia. And for example, if we learn from Asian traditional and authentic foods, we learn that people in Asia aren't drinking soy milk and eating soy burgers, (laughs) not healthy food. Let's look how people traditionally eat small amounts of fermented soy. And that brings us to this whole new breakthrough that fermented foods are one of the best types of foods for our mental health. And so if we look to our own cultural heritage and what our ancestors thrived on, if you're from Ireland, what did you eat? You ate salmon and seaweed. And of course, the Irish are known for developing that wonderful medicine, Guinness, rich (laughs) in hops and B vitamins. Now, a little bit goes a long way. Too much will do you in. And that's the other principle. (laughs) There's lots of medicines out there that in small amounts are healthy for us and large amounts are not. And so I ask my clients to ask two questions. Where are my people from? And the food that helps them survive and survive? And the second question is, what foods make me feel good and what foods zap my energy and make me depressed. And that's where we begin to define the one right diet for the individual. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know me, I'm of Irish descent and I love salmon and pretty fond of Guinness as well. Um. (laughs) Well, again, it's very rich in magnesium, uh, which is why Guinness is is truly the Irish call it uh, Irish medicine. A half a cup of Guinness, very rich in magnesium. It's a muscle relaxant. And indeed, where alcohol is not contraindicated in my clients, I say, forget the benzodiazepam, forget the muscle relaxant. Let's find some natural anxiolytics. Uh, I use supplements as well. I use herbs. For example, the herb kava uh, is a very natural anxiolytic. And when I'm working with people to come off of psychotropic medication, we can find an an analogous plant, herb, or food or supplement that will have the same effects as any medicine, but without the side effects. And uh, Guinness is is an example. If I've got a client who's calling me in tears of a muscle spasm, 
uh, which is very common, as you know, in anxiety and trauma. I want to work with them through a whole natural repertoire of management of that spasm and not uh, look to a, a drug that will alter the brain and alter sleep and therefore get them on a, a merry-go-round of, of negative side effects. That's so important. And there are so many ways that psychotropic medications can really affect us short term and long term. And we don't always know what this longer term effects are. That's so true. I think it's very important to have alternatives. Many clients either do not get the benefits from the psychotropics or they get debilitating side effects or they often have beliefs, whether they're philosophical or religious beliefs, that they don't want to use these medications. And we have such an epidemic of prescription. You know, we have primary health care providers, often with little training in mental health, who are actually doing a lot of the prescribing of psychotropics. We have an opiate epidemic in large part because of prescribers who don't have the tools to help people manage pain. And our pain epidemic, as you well know, Laura, in your work, is so related to the, the confluence of traumatic stress and poor nutrition, along with, let's say, accidents or uh, war injuries that create a chronic pain complex that people don't often know how to alleviate. Well, I'm here to say we do know how. We do know that there's a whole range of interventions through food and diet, through herbs, through movement and physical therapy, through acupuncture, hydrotherapy, all the topics I cover in my books, a whole repertoire of approaches the clinician can teach their clients so that they have alternatives and feel empowered to decrease their pain and inflammation. Mm, we've been talking about that on some recent episodes as well, the chronic pain and, you know, the connection between mental health and chronic pain. And so I'm glad you brought that up. I want to ask you real quick, if you can tell us a little bit more about how fermented foods are so important for us. Oh, of course. If you look the world over, you'll see every culture, pardon the pun, has cultured foods. <laughs> uh, foods, uh, even mead, if you think in Europe, mead and wine and beer, these are cultured, these are fermented foods, fermented grains. But if you look, let's say, at kimchi in Korea, you look up in the Arctic where peoples bury eggs and let them ferment. The Brits will ferment uh, meat out on the porch, let it turn all uh, yucky green and it's fermented. The result of these fermentations, just like sauerkraut and yogurt and kefir, leads to all this good bacteria. And we know that good bacteria in our gut, in our intestines, leads to the creation of brain chemicals that increase and improve our mood. We never understood this. We thought we had to kind of bang on the brain and say, hey, give me more serotonin here. Increase your GABA to help me relax. But we know now it's actually made in what's called the second brain, 
the brain of our gut that's so smart that it creates more bacteria and supports, in particular, GABA. And this is why it's so important when we have clients with colitis or inflammatory bowel disorder. What were we always taught, Laura? We were taught to help people relax. And if they relaxed, their bowels would relax. But now we know it's not just one way. It's bi-directional. If we actually support the gut and the bowels with more fermented foods and more bacteria, it actually has its effect on the first brain. So we've got relaxation, we've got CBT going towards the bowels, and then we've got the bowels and all that good fermented bacteria and increased GABA going back to the brain. And this is what we know enhances recovery for not only anxiety, but colitis and inflammatory bowel disorders. Mm, So fascinating because, you know, I definitely see, and I know we talked about this before, so many of my clients who've experienced trauma do have inflammatory issues in their gut, you know, IBS or pain or colitis, Crohn's disease and things like that. So, yes. Well, the other the other aspect of trauma and digestion also is that digestion has to occur in a state of relaxation. And so trauma is not such a state. Traumatic stress or even chronic stress often keeps our autonomic nervous system on alert. And when that happens, it stops the flow of digestive juices. And that's why in my book, I've got several mindfulness exercises and even some hydrotherapy to put on the belly, uh, a cold pack before you eat to take a few minutes to rest and relax. Because if we eat under stress, we put food into our mouths, but there is no juices there. It's like putting putting food in a pot on the stove, but not putting the fire under it and letting it sit for a couple of days. It gets all bubbly and fermented and gaseous. That's what causes a lot of the pain Hmm. of poor digestion in the gut. And so it's a combination of good quality food and relaxing right before one eats The other thing is it's often very important. I have a saying, diet is essential, but it's not sufficient. And when we're in recovery, whether it's physical or mental, and we know both of those go together, Mm -hmm. it's very important to take supplements that aid us. That's why digestive enzymes would be the third part of that triangle of fermented foods, good quality foods, relaxation while eating, and then foods or or supplements that help us digest. And people often benefit from taking digestive enzymes. They're not expensive. And they just give a little extra fire to the belly to help break down those foods. And that's why in the book, both books, The Good Mood Kitchen and Eat Right, Feel Right, I give very simple recipes for recovery. Because especially when we're in recovery from alcohol or drug use, where diet has been very poor or non-existent, people often don't digest very well. And so they'll do well with very simple broths 
really brain-nourishing foods, but that don't require a lot from the liver and the stomach to work too hard. And this is really, as you well know, one of the failures of our our residency programs for addiction recovery. They, uh, uh, only the very high-end programs, unfortunately, have gotten on board with good quality diet as part of an addiction recovery model. But it really is the other half that makes the difference in addition to therapy and, and exercise and body work treatment. Hmm. Just another example of the whole mind-body connection. And, you know, they, they, they aren't separate. So Leslie, will you tell our listeners about your other books and and what they're about briefly so that, you know, because you kind of referenced them and I know judging by last time you were on, everyone I've talked to has enjoyed hearing from you so much. I know many people who are hearing this for the first time are going to say, oh, I want more of what she's doing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Laura. It's, as you can tell, I'm, I feel very passionate about it. I wrote a book that is for clinicians and, and others. It's very accessible. It's called Rhythms of Recovery, Trauma, Nature, and the Body. And it's really an integrative approach to the treatment of complex trauma using all things natural, uh, how to integrate psychotherapeutic interventions and integrate nutrition, botanicals, even entheogens, also known as psychedelics, uh, which we're seeing a great deal of scientific research on of late, uh, detoxification, but also it's very rooted in culture and ritual. And I write a lot about my life and work in the jungle of Mexico and it's also a feminist book, Laura. I have a whole section on touch and somatic therapies and how we've come through the taboo on touch, how it continues to persist, but how recovery from trauma, in my belief, requires a whole person approach, including spirit. And so that's what that book is about. And I also have a, a book called Multicultural Counseling Workbook because my other passion is about multicultural methods and working with diverse communities and how diverse rituals and knowledge really can inform our work. And um, it came out of my course for PESI. Uh, I teach a couple of CE courses that are now available as DVDs and CE credit. Uh, one's on nutritional therapies and integrative medicine, and the other is in multicultural uh, interventions. And so, gee, I think I've also got a couple of books for those people interested in uh, medicinal plants. I've got a digital book in uh, Medicinal Plants of the Jungle, which talks about how we used what we call culinary pedagogy, learning about food and cooking and medicinal plants as a tool for community organizing in trauma. And I've applied this both in urban Boston, where I'm from, as you can tell, <laughs> but also in the jungle of Mexico. And so those are, um, gee, I think those are my books. <laughs> oh, I've got another one called Di on diabetes and natural approaches and indigenous knowledge for the treatment of diabetes. And we know diabetes is a disease of stress. 
diabetes begins with stress and then it alters glucose metabolism and it often leads to depression and pain. And so those are the gamut. And I've got lots of free downloads on my blog on my website, which is Dr. Leslie Korn, L-E-S-L-I-E-K-O-R-N.com. And lots of free reports and downloads along with books and snippets of my videos and, and links to where to purchase as well on Amazon. Wonderful. I know that many people who are listening are going to want to go find those resources. I'm so grateful to you for coming back. And, you know, as we mentioned before we started recording, I definitely would love to have you back again if Many times, um, I definitely want to talk with you about Rhythms of Recovery. That was one of our plans. But this new book, um, these new books coming out kind of grabbed my attention and I went with it. So, (laughs) well, let's do that. And Laura, you know, before we say goodbye, I really would love to share with you a, a very simple recipe in my book called Brain Bolt Salad Dressing. Wonderful. And one of the first changes people can do is just make your own salad dressing because it can be medicine for the brain. Stop buying salad dressings. Just get virgin olive oil and get a little fresh hemp oil, one of the best oils for the brain. And I like to have about a three-quarter olive oil to a one-quarter hemp oil. And then just add a little apple cider vinegar, and I love dill, but you can add whatever spice or herb you want, a little bit of garlic, shake it up, keep it in the fridge. And that way it's ready for you. It will last for a week and it's a time saver as well. And you know that you're feeding your brain and feeding your mood with your salad dressing every day. I love that. And where do you get hemp oil? Is that available at grocery stores? It, well, probably not your regular grocery store. You could certainly get it online if you're ordering online these days, but you could also get it at like a place like Whole Foods or your local organic food store, uh, depending upon your location. Hemp oil. And it is medicine for the brain because it supports the natural endocannabinoids in the brain, reduces cravings. Uh, helps with eating disorders and helps with mood as well, helps with depression. And it's just one of a number of steps you can take to improve your mood with your food. Wonderful. That's a wonderful way for us to end our conversation today. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's just, I'll vouch for you. That's one of the examples of how simple the recipes are that you share in both books and how, you know, kind of, unique the flavors are, but satisfying and delicious. Oh, well, my pleasure. One day we'll get together and have a feast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) Leslie, thank you again so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. My pleasure, Laura. Thank you for all the great work you do. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Therapy Chat, my interview with Dr. Leslie Korn about her latest books. You're going to be hearing me interview her again in the future. I just love talking with Leslie and she makes her complicated information really simple because of her. I've really changed the way I eat. I used to be really kind of grossed out by coconut oil and now I cook with it all the time. And I feel like I have a much better understanding 
of nutrition. Certainly, I do not know everything there is to know by any means, but I think that her books are amazing resources. And Leslie even has a training for clinicians on using nutrition and integrative interventions for mental health disorders. So she's pretty awesome. I hope you agree. Check out her stuff and thank you as always for listening to Therapy Chat. I'm so appreciative to you and I hope that you've enjoyed and found this episode helpful. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can go to therapychatpodcast.com and send me a message using SpeakPipe. I always love hearing from you, particularly if you have a question that you would like to have answered on the air, you can go to SpeakPipe, leave your message, and maybe you'll hear it played on a future episode of Therapy Chat. In the meantime, take care. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. 